Welcome to the Be Nice Andy Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Be Nice Andy Podcast, a sports podcast for the people. My name is John Lee. And I'm Andy Benzwitz. Sandy, this week, I, I can only assume a bunch of people got knocked out of their uh, their picks league, what have you. This totally huge upset of this build over uh, the Vikings. I mean, I personally, I think in the, the Bill Simmons podcast, he, he was almost considering betting the money line. They're like, there's no world that the Vikings could lose this game, that the Bills won't put up enough points, et cetera, et cetera. And not only do they beat them, but uh, the Bills beat the Vikings by the... Uh, by the line that the Vikings were favored by more than that, 27-6. to 6. I was watching the highlights. I, I didn't bother watching the game because I thought it was going to be a shellacking, but um, they crushed them. Like, I saw Kirk Cousins getting, like, sacked a bunch of times, and Allen, I mean, he comes in, and it's almost like a, it's almost like a, um, a Ferris wheel or a carousel or what have you with uh, all these new quarterbacks each week. Like, someone looks really good. Uh, so Allen looks awesome. Um, I didn't know I didn't follow much of college, but he looked awesome in this game. So, do you think this is more the Bills showing what they have, or the Vikings kind of just not taking their opponent seriously? Yeah, I think this one was more of just. I don't think it was necessarily them not taking the Bills seriously, but. I think what you have with football, with NFL football, is there's just so much parity in the league as it is that the difference between, like, the best team and the worst team may not necessarily be that, that far. I mean, it may seem record-wise, yes, but what you have is a guy, Kirk Cousins, for example, a quarterback who's been playing lights out for the first couple weeks of the season, and then he came out in this game and just absolutely laid an egg. And this was, by far, I mean, one of the worst performances you'll see from him. And I think the Bills just put it all together, and they probably a little bit of excitement having their you know top draft pick uh, Josh Allen go and kind of put it all together and just uh, snowballed it really and that can happen in football momentum you know somebody gets going on one side and the other team starts slipping on the other and next thing you know it's a blowout so Andy I, I gotta ask you like um, I know you've been a little hard on Dak in the past uh, I know the Cowboys are known for their offensive line I truthfully have watched the highlights from the Vikings the last two weeks um I wasn't the biggest Kirk Cousins fan, but watching him with that comeback, albeit a tie, not not Kirk Cousins' fault, um, that last game against the Packers, I thought. I mean, I thought Kirk Cousins proved that he's legit, like he was going to take it to the next level. Um, so, I mean, with all the sacks, was that just a bad matchup scheme-wise? Was it the O-line was? Was Kirk Cousins just not getting rid of the ball fast enough? Like, I mean, I just, I literally all the highlights, I just saw him, like, running for his life. Like, uh, what was going on there? Yeah, I think it was a combination maybe of all that. I mean, you know, Kirk Cousins throughout his career hasn't really been a world beater. He's been a guy that's been able to put up some good stats here and there, uh, have some good games, have some bad games, uh, have some bad times in spots where you wouldn't want your quarterback to have uh, bad times. But this one here, just watching this game, and I actually did watch um, a lot of this game because I have Kirk Cousins on my fantasy team. So this one kind of killed me because he carried me in the first two uh, in the first two weeks. And then this game, watching it, it just seemed like he was having an off day. It, he was missing his wide receivers by a ton. The pressure was getting to him. When he got hit, he fumbled. Uh, he threw a couple balls that were clear interception balls. And I think it might have just been a situation where he just had a bad game and the rest of the team kind of follows. And sometimes it's uh, contagious when your quarterback goes out there and doesn't have a good game. So, I mean, after this game, do you think Bills will, like, this will serve as a launch pad and this will, like, motivate them? I, I mean, before this game, I think people were talking, like, worst team in the NFL next to the Cardinals and all, all this negative stuff. Um, some people are saying this is going to be the Super Bowl for the Bills and then the rest of their season is going to be downhill. And on the flip side, the Vikings, I mean, they were touted as NFC favorites with the Eagles. 
Bills and the Rams. And do you, I mean, I, I guess it's anyone's guess, but do you think they'll bounce back? Or do you, do you think they're not as strong as, they want, as people once thought they were? I think that I don't think anybody should really overreact too much to this game. I think it was a situation where Minnesota came out. They played terrible. Kirk Cousins turned over the ball in um, Buffalo territory a couple times where they had a few easy scores. And I just think it was one of those games where it just, you know, one thing goes one way for one team and another thing goes the other way for another team. I don't think Buffalo is a good team. I don't think Buffalo is going to really, uh, you know, get catapulted into anything more than they really are from this. I think it was good to see Josh Allen go out and have a, a good game. Uh, you know, if you look at his stats for the game, he was 15 to 22 passing, just under 200 yards with one passing touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, I think if they get that type of performance out of Josh Allen, then I think that they have a chance to be competitive because what they haven't really been able to, to do with other quarterbacks outside of uh, Terod Taylor was, you know, be able to get the ball downfield and not turn over the ball. Josh Allen's a guy who's fairly inconsistent of a passer. So as a rookie, you think that he may kind of struggle with throwing interceptions and throwing incompletions. But in this game, it was pretty much everything but that. It was kind of a possession game. So I think Buffalo is still going to struggle. I think they'll still be kind of towards the bottom of the league when all is said and done. And I think that this, I think if you're a Minnesota or a Minnesota fan, I think you got to kind of take this for what it was, a terrible loss, throw it out the window, and then go back to work next week. Because I think Minnesota, with their defense and with everything they've got on offense, is, is still going to be a very good team in the NFC. So being a glass half full guy, I kind of want to convince myself of the same thing with our next topic, this Patriots loss that I don't want to say I didn't see coming. If I were a betting man, I would, you know, there'd be no way that there'd be no way that the Patriots would lose two in a row. I mean, the Patriots are notorious for doing well against uh, Bill Belichick's former assistants. Um, it's not, it's not the fact that they lost, it's how they lost. It, um, it's pretty convincing in my opinion. Um, I think the narrative that everyone's talking about is that you know, there's no playmakers on the Patriots side, um, but then everyone's painting the glass half full part. They're getting back Edelman and Josh Gordon um, next week. That, that'll help them out. But I think, again, fool me once, fool me twice. This happened to the Patriots before. Uh, I think most recently against the Chiefs, I think that year they either made the Super Bowl or won it. Um, do I overreact? Is they age catching up to Brady? Or are these just two bad matchups, the Jags and the Lions? Or what do you make of this Patriots uh, two losses in a row? I think the Patriots are that prototypical lightning rod right now in the NFL because, or in sports really, because everybody's got an opinion on the Patriots. If you're a Patriots fan, every time they lose, you're like, what happened? You know, because you don't expect them to ever lose. Just this is what the Patriots have become over the years. They've become that team where everybody expects them to win every week. Everybody, everybody expects them to be in the Super Bowl every year. And I mean, that's just the type of domination that they've had in not only the AFC East, but all of football, really. They're either they're either winning Super Bowl or they're losing a Super Bowl. And I think if you look at this, it was it was last year where they got beat up by the Chiefs in week one and everybody kinda started panicking and, you know, saying, Was this is this the end of Tom Brady? Is this the end of the Patriots? And here they are back last year in the Super Bowl and very well could have won the Super Bowl, obviously. The Eagles played a great game. Uh, but I think it's one of those things where everybody's always going to have a, a comment on the Patriots. If you hate the Patriots, you want it to lose. You want it to be the, the end of the Brady and Belichick era. I think that there is a little bit of truth to the whole Brady and Belichick uh, relationship thing where that might be a little bit of, a, of an issue now. I, I don't know if it's really going to affect them. I still expect the Patriots to be the Patriots when all is said and done. I still can expect them to 
win the AFC East. I still expect them to make a run for the Super Bowl. I'm not sure if they'll get there because Jacksonville uh, is legit and, you know, that's a team in the AFC that could probably give them a lot of problems, especially if they get that game in Jacksonville. But I, I wouldn't say that – I think it's more of an overreaction now than anything. I think Brady's still Brady, and I think once you get Edelman and you get Gordon out there, all of a sudden that offense is going to be a lot scarier. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tell myself that, and it's, it, it blows my mind how um, not only the public, but I guess Vegas and Vegas as well uh, believe in the Patriots, where I was looking at the Vegas odds just recently, and after this week three, you got the Rams at 4-1 to one to win the whole thing, which doesn't surprise me just looking how dominant they are. If if anything, seems like a sure bet. It's how good they look in the NFC. You still have the Pats second place at a one and two record at eight to one odds, and you have the Chiefs who are three now. Who, you know, Patrick Mahomes looks like he's the second coming at nine to one. So that just blows my mind that a one and two team. Again, that's how much respect the Patriots get. This is still the second favorite team to win the Super Bowl. And I mean, if they lose against Miami next week in their division, I mean that that's going to hurt. I mean, they might have to make it as um, a wild card. Uh, I mean, that seems like blasphemous to say, but um. Who really knows? Um, speaking of which, I mean, the Rams have looked like pretty amazing these first three weeks. Um, I think you hear all sorts of things like, are they going to go 14-2, 15-1, 16-0? They look that dominant, all the weapons around them. Um, do you think they're legit? Do you think just they've got off to a good start and they'll normalize? Or what do you think about the Rams? I think the Rams are legit. I think that everybody looked at the Rams kind of coming into the season and they disappointed everybody in the playoffs last year, which to me wasn't that surprising because you've got a young quarterback who is still kind of getting his, um, you know, his his feet on the ground in the NFL, still working through some of the young quarterback things where getting used to maybe taking some more shots downfield, getting used to just the overall competition difference. Uh, and I think that if Goff continues to improve this year, I think now all of a sudden they're a lot bigger threat. Uh, I think they're more similar. If you look at them this year, I think that they're actually very similar to what the Eagles were last year. Uh, if you put that whole defense together, just the guys that they brought in in the offseason, I mean, I don't know how they did it salary cap-wise, but it's like they've been able to put like an all-star roster together on both sides of the ball. I mean, in a team like that, one of the things that really kind of impresses me is what the, the potential of what they're defense can be with what the potential and what their offense is with their running game. I mean, Todd Gurl, if he can stay healthy and continue to kind of do what he does offensively, then all of a sudden the playoffs, you've got a team that can control the ball and also just, you know, possibly shut down the opposing teams. And so I I absolutely think the Rams are 100% legit. I mean, nothing that they do at this point is going to surprise me. It would surprise me if they're not at least one of the two teams that's uh, competing in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, once you get there. It'd be very interesting to see I guess who they face, but right now I think that they're without a doubt one of the top two teams in the NFC. Speaking of who they might face, um, I think it seems like a sure bet that your Cowboys won't be one of those two teams. Um, I mean, for me, that was uh, the four o'clock game that I was—I I didn't have my red zone on, so like I was reluctantly forced to watch this Cowboys Seahawks game. Um, I thought it'd be a fun little segment to every week. Let's do this kind of state of the Cowboys kind of segment. You can fill us in on your thoughts on Cowboys, the most recent game, where you think they're at. I was watching this yeah. game and it was kind of hard to watch. I kind of on both ends just piece uh, the Seahawks with all their um, their moves. They don't have that kind of lesion of boom anymore, but um, so formidable. Russell Wilson, you know, he kind of does his thing. It's kind of feast of time. But on the Cowboys side, I just, 
I mean, some, at, at points, their offense looks somewhat like anemic. Like, I don't know if it's because of Witten and Bryant or, I mean, what, this is Dak's third year now or, like, I don't know what's going on. Their offense just doesn't seem like it's an NFL offense to keep up with some of these other big hitters. But um, how did you feel about that Seahawks game and where the Cowboys are at? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit on it. I think that this is what the Cowboys team is. I mean, everybody always kind of wants to talk about them one way or another. If you're a Cowboys fan, which they have, there's Cowboys fans everywhere. I mean, all over the world, there's Cowboys fans. But with that, there's also Cowboys haters all over the world. Um, I grew up a Cowboys, you know, fan. And I'm to the point now where it's almost like I don't know if I love them or hate them more because they drive me so nuts every single week. It, and this is exactly what they are. You don't know what you're going to get. They'll get, everybody goes in the season and it's like, hey, these guys are going to have a chance. You know, this might be the team. This might be the defense that can finally push them over the edge. And then, you know, they go out there and all of a sudden you got an offense that can't score. And I think what it is, I, I think it has nothing to do with Des Bryant. I think it has nothing to do with Jason Witten. I think that it would have helped them having those two guys in the team because those guys have both been such great players throughout their careers. I think Des Bryant has gotten a little bit of a bad rap, uh, specifically from the Cowboys, because when he was uh, cut, it, it was almost kind of like, ah, you know, he's not a great team guy or um, distraction in a locker room. I actually don't believe any of that. I think that he's a very passionate player. I think that they wanted to protect their young quarterback. And I think that's why they chose to move away from Des Bryant. I think it's all been about protecting Dak and kind of letting there be a scapegoat for what the issues with the offense was last season. And I think now we're seeing that it was really everything but Des that was the problem. I I don't think that Dak at this stage is a starting NFL quarterback. I think he caught teams off, off guard his rookie season with the very different uh, set of skills that he brought versus what teams were preparing for with Romo. And I think that once every team got tape on him, they were able to kind of see what he does, what he does well, and more importantly, all the things that he doesn't do well. And they were able to prepare and take away uh, Cole Beasley, who was really that guy. He was he was that, uh, that safety blanket, kind of like what Witten was for many years. But last season, they started taking away Cole Beasley, and Dak seemed like he's lost out there. Uh, he doesn't throw the ball downfield, and really looks like he's kind of really fallen back and digressed a little bit um, from what he was his rookie season so I think sadly this is going to be not a good season for the Cowboys I think their defense is finally a very competitive group and I don't think they're going to have what it takes offensively to to really be competitive I'm almost to the point where I want them to you know either win big or lose big so I wouldn't mind seeing them in the top five uh, draft pick area to try to maybe get something to, to fix this offense in the coming years so that's kind of where I'm at with them yeah it's it's kind of interesting like I mean I definitely know in the NBA where you know um, trust the process where like you know you don't want to be in the middle um, now that I think about that whole role model where you know a lot of the criticism on him again I, I think we both agreed not not on Tony where he he played them up to eight and eight it almost did them a disservice by being in the middle in terms of Drafts. And then again, I don't, I don't, I don't follow all the um, Cowboys drafts and if they hit on any players. But um, like, I think we kind of did this exercise before in the past. But like, if you were to do a pie chart and uh, like assign blame, anything from the GM, the coach, and then the players. Like, like, so a couple, a couple questions. Like, do you think the GM with ha, has drafted and traded the players adequate to the best of his ability? And then also um, the coach who's gotten a lot of flack. Do you think with the talent? 
like I think we've agreed in the past, like Belichick, whatever whatever talent you're giving him, he'll probably get more production than what that talent is worth. Um, I, I feel like you guys have decent talent, but like I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I can't tell if it's more the coach's fault or the players' fault. But then again, the players kind of a byproduct of the coach. So, like, yeah, if who would you assign blame to as kind of where your, where your Cowboys are at right now? Yeah, I think it's very. I almost think it's very even between the two because when I look at what the Cowboys are and how they kind of they get their talent. So it's Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry Jones is the GM. Jerry Jones is a final say. I think that over the years, he's taken more input from his scouts and from his coaches and from his uh, his uh, family members, so his sons, basically, and, and even his daughter, who are highly involved with the team now. But I think that ultimately, Jerry is still the loudest voice in the room. And I think what they do is they do a very good job of drafting in the first round. I think they've done, they've done a phenomenal job of drafting in the first round, getting really good talent uh, for their picks in the first round and even some good talent in the second round uh, where they've taken a chance on some guys it, that's kind of the second round pick is, has been for the Cowboys kind of like let's take a chance on a guy who may have some personal issues going on whether it was Grant, uh, Randy Gregory with uh, substance abuse issues or uh, Jalen Smith who they drafted who was a top five pick I mean Jalen Smith would have been a top five pick in the NFL draft if he hadn't torn his ACL um, his senior season at Notre Dame and, and had the nerve damage that he had so it was such a long recovery for Jalen Smith right then that they decided to take a chance on him in the second round and you know, those two guys have looked phenomenal when they've been on the field. Uh, Jalen kind of got out there last year where he might not have been 100% recovered and did a great job, and now he's really looking this season like he's that type of player. And Randy Gregory literally just got on the field this season. He's been suspended for almost two full seasons since getting drafted. Uh, and those guys are looking good. But if you look past that, uh, I think that they've really struggled to take really good talent in the later round. And then the next part of that, which was kind of the next part of your question, I don't think that this Cowboys coaching staff is even remotely good at uh, developing talent. I think they're actually terrible at developing talent. I think if they've got like a surefire uh, all-pro type player, those guys come in and they they still turn into an all-pro player. But I don't think it has much to do with the coaching staff. And then if guys later in the rounds where they're thinking, hey, we can turn this guy into something, I don't think that the, the coaches develop. And I think Dak is really kind of a good example of that where, you know, he's a fourth round pick and had this great rookie season. And since then, he's kind of just fallen off the map in terms of his productivity. And not only that, but he's, the offense has become so predictable that defenses just seem to have no problem, you know, being able to stop them. And, and so I think that that's kind of a fault that goes all the way around. They don't have a coach like Belichick that's going to develop talent. And they, they have a coach that kind of Jace, uh, Jerry Jones's guy, I guess, you know, to say the least. He's going to clap and cheer on the sidelines no matter what the score is. And Jerry, he says yes to Jerry Jones. And I think that that's the type of coach that Jerry Jones wants on the team. And I think that learning from the mistakes of his past, Jerry has kind of falsely cited that Garrett's the one that's going to dodge all the bullets versus the great coaches that he had, like Parcells and Jimmy Johnson. So I think that it's, I would say it's almost even between whose fault it is. I think it's the, the lack of development and then the lack of 
um, accurate or correct picks later in the, in the draft that kind of go that way. So what was the Cowboys record last year? Do you remember? Yeah, the Cowboys were 9-7 and seven last season, so they came off of having a great season the, the year before is, is Dak's a rookie, and I believe they were 13-3. and three. And then last season, they when they lost G to the suspension, they kind of struggled at that point. They had a couple injuries on the offensive line, and Dak just completely fell apart. Just kind of got worse and worse as the season went on, and his accuracy is going down, and he just was a- unable to throw the ball downfield. So yeah, nine and seven was a pretty decent record. But I think last season, to be fair, they could have they had the talent to be a potentially a thirteen and three team. But you know, when you're not kind of getting it done on offense, um, you're you're going to struggle when it comes to that. I think their defense was definitely good enough to, to compete last season. Um, and then the one last thing I wanted to mention in regards to this. So if you look at, there's another main, major factor here. The Cowboys with a, in a salary cap league have decided to completely, just completely disregard um, what happens when you cut guys or even potentially release guys or whatever while they still have guaranteed money on the book. This season's Cowboys team has over $20 million in dead money on their roster. So in a salary cap league where let's just say and I don't know the number the, the exact number right off the top of my head but say it's 200 million dollars um, for for a hard cap so you can't spend over 200 million dollars in your salary cap the Cowboys have over 20 million dollars in money that is being paid to guys like Tony Romo Des Bryant uh, I don't I'm not sure exactly what Jason Witten's uh, number is given that he retired I'm not sure how they worked that out uh, but even guys like Orlando Skandrick I believe he had two million dollars counting against the cap so when you look at 20 million plus dollars in dead money I mean that that's like a Marcus Peters or even two guys really like a like a Michael Bennett you know like somebody on a team that the Rams were able to go out and get these guys right and here it is you you, you look at those guys and that's probably two guys that could make the Cowboys like a ton better on the field and they don't they simply don't have the money to do it because they've, they've thrown away so much money to dead cap space so I think when you look at that it's just it, it, for for a couple guys like Jerry Jones for example who, who happens to you think of as this great financial guy it's like you look at it and how can you just throw away the that much money and expect to be successful. You know, it, to me, it looks like that's just something really bad that's kind of overlooked in the big game. So, Andy, a couple uh, last thoughts on this. So, I mean, from a distance, I would say this Cowboys team is, it, considering you're technically uh, hoping that Zeke doesn't get injured, you know, you have him for four more games than last year, right? I think he's suspended for four games. So, you would argue, and I mean, it's your position that um, losing Daz and Wynn aren't, aren't, aren't a huge deal. Would you agree? that this year's team is at least on par with last year's team, if not slightly better? I think this team should be a lot better than last year's team. So if this team goes below 8-8, if it were up to you, I'm not saying what Jerry's going to do, would you fire Jason Garrett? I would have fired Jason Garrett like (laughs) seven years ago. But that's me. So I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I think Jerry looks back and he says, you know, I shouldn't have fired Jimmy Johnson. I shouldn't have fired Bill or, you know, parted ways with these guys. Uh, Parcells, Jimmy Johnson, and I think he kind of looks at this as like Garrett is that prototypical. He's a smart guy. He, you know, he's a Princeton grad. He was a Dallas Cowboys backup quarterback, and Jerry Jones loves him. And for whatever reason, I just think that Jerry has this major hesitation when it comes to whether he will ever part ways with this guy. I don't know what will have to happen for him to part ways with Jason Garrett, but 
for me, I almost feel like it, the, the wheels will have to absolutely fall off for that to happen. And when I say that, I think it would have to be like a, like a 3 and 13 or something, you know, completely unexpected like that. For it to Randy, let me ask you the final question. So I, I, I listened to the Tony Kornheiser podcast where I don't know much about the, um, the Washington football team, but like all I know is that those, those fans are super loyal and when they were good and then when they started getting bad, you would you could argue that the RG3 era kind of researched them for uh, you know a little bit, but now they kind of stink now. And I, I've heard a lot of things about their new stadium, and, and it's it's just a different experience, not a great experience, um, anecdotally from other people. So they had this like ridiculous record. Um, and again, I'm somewhat spoiled with you know the Patriots have been sold out for who knows how many years straight. Like the, the Washington football team has been sold out for a long time, and then all of a sudden recently they they stopped selling out and. Um, you could argue that their owner was just somewhat um, greedy and just assuming that they're always going to sell out that footballs. Um, there's such you know limited amount of games each year and the passion, the history that they would always sell out. Remind me again, the Cowboys, you guys sell out all the time, have been selling out for a long time. I would imagine you guys sell out all the time and it's been a, like a streak or something. Yeah, so I don't know if the Cowboys have like officially sold out every oh, game okay. or not, but so the Cowboys stadium to capacity is, is roughly 100,000 fans. Okay, so yeah. the Cowboys yeah. stadium now, and a lot of that is uh, there's standing room that they actually sell. And I'm not sure if you're you're real familiar with this, but you did go to a game with me uh, one time. Yep. We went to the uh, the game versus the Patriots, actually. Patriots, so yep, yep. But uh, so Cowboys Stadium, AT&T, they actually will sell a ton of tickets for standing room only where people can go and they can stand in like the uh, end zone type uh, back set there and then on the side to a certain extent. And I'm not sure what the exact sell number is for the Cowboys, but I think there are some games where they're, they may not be 100% sold out, but I think that every ticket is, I think every ticket is technically sold at all times and then whatever is on StubHub, you know what I mean? They may not be got it, got filled okay. capacity all the time. But so I, think, yeah, I, so. I think the Washington football team goes by that same thing. I'm assuming every ticket sold, whether everyone's physically seated in the seat, that might be a different story, but I guess, I guess to me, like, I wonder, you know, everyone loves the Cowboys. There's so many fans. Texas is so big. I just wonder when the fans are going to start to react by not shelling out. And that line, again, supposedly there was this long line for the Washington football team there, um, for season tickets. And then all of a sudden you could buy them. You didn't have to wait. I mean, for the Patriots, yeah. I'm going to have to wait forever. Um, but, like, I don't know when that, that queued up line for the Cowboys is going to start to go down. Piece the product on the field. And Garrett and the players, like, if, if they give Dak a big contract, which I I certainly hope not. Um, like yeah. he's the QB of the future. That's going to set you guys back up with this, you know, just guessing the future, this dead money, right? They're going to wave him down the line because I, I don't see him as being a franchise quarterback. And then Garrett, you know, keeps his job after a subpar eight, eight season. Uh, it could get really annoying, especially, I mean, what, since the glory days of the late 90s. Um, it's, been a, it's been a while of me- mediocrity, and I wonder when the fans are going to react. Yeah, I don't know, and it's interesting because – when you go to a Cowboys game, there's always a huge draw, uh, even for like whoever their opponent is. So the Cowboys, you know, they're always going to have their huge amount of Cowboys fans. I mean, they're the, they're, they're technically the, uh, I believe they're the number one, uh, sports franchise in the world when it comes to, um, like what their worth is. Uh, so they've got fans everywhere. I mean, there's just a million, millions and millions and millions of Cowboys fans, but also at AT&T Stadium, there's a huge amount of opposing uh, teams fans that come in for every game as well so that kind of plays a big part in it as well I mean they're one of the most expensive teams to go see uh, if you were to like go to a Cowboys game versus 
you know, even Redskins or whatever, the ticket, the ticket prices are extremely high to go to Cowboys games. And, you know, I'm not sure if that'll change. And it's just, they've had great years. They've had rough years. Now we're going on 20 plus years where they haven't won a Super Bowl, but they've been extremely competitive some years. And then, you know, they may be 12 and four, 13 and three one year. And then the next year they're four and 12. So I'm not sure they're doing enough to like completely push people away. But I think that every year that they go without winning a Super Bowl, which the fans are extremely aware of, that's what you're really playing for. Uh, I think that there's always that possibility. But I don't know. Cowboys have kind of been there for a long time. And uh, I'm not sure. We'll we'll have to see how that goes. But even the Redskins right now, and they're two and one. They've gotten off to a great start. So even a team like that, there's just a lot of parity. And a couple bad moves here or there can kind of catapult a team into being competitive or, or not being competitive. So speaking of being competitive, I, uh, I I was one to be extremely excited about this um, NFL draft class in terms of all the excitement, all well, the young quarterback. I maybe maybe ESPN hyped them up too much, but I just hear all these names and like most NFL ready quarterbacks and all this hoopla. And I got really excited about all these quarterbacks I've been seeing, especially quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield perform in um, the playoffs and college playoffs. Um, I was really excited about how these guys would perform, and I mean it's it's pretty amazing. So like I was. I was trying to think of recent memory of when the last time um, there was such a great QB draft class, not in terms of like best of the best or like Rogers draft class or whatever, but kind of this high volume of high potential quality quarterbacks. And so like, I think on a bunch of lists, I saw um, 1983, you got Elway, you got Jim Kelly, you got Marino. 2004, I I don't consider him elite, but Eli, Rivers, Ben. Um, so yeah, with the 2018 draft class, you got Baker Mayfield, you got Darnold, you got Josh Allen, you got Rosen. So I, I, I'm pretty sure we went on this topic before, but before the first game of the season, how would you rank those four? Before the first game of the season? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, okay. This is going to be, I think, I think this would be fun to have this as a weekly segment, this kind of 2018 right. QV class check-in, just because, again, I, I'm so excited about these four, and these four could really shape four franchises. But, yeah, how would you have ranked those four quarterbacks before the season? I think what I would have gone with would have been probably Mayfield, Darnold, uh, and then Allen and Rosen. Uh, I, I, I still like uh, I still like Lamar Jackson in the conversation too, though. I think that he's, uh, he's he's very different, but I think he's still that wild card where he could end up being phenomenal. Uh, he's obviously not playing uh, like some of these other guys right now, but uh, that's what I would probably go with before the season. Um, I mean, I agree with you. I'm again, you have way more football experience to me, but I also thought the same about Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow. So, like, when I see these guys that perform so well in college, you see NFL teams that just, you know, they're not they're not NFL players. Like, it just blows my mind. Like, how can you be so productive in college the step right before the NFL, and then you don't even have a shot in the NFL at all. So, like, um, that's what confused me. Like, I've seen in Lamar Jackson's highlight, that guy looks like he has potential. I don't... I, it, so I'm not going to say he's better than Dak. That that's a shot against Dak. But like, is he worth a shot to look at for like another team that just doesn't have a potential franchise quarterback? I mean, why wouldn't you? Like, he it doesn't seem like he should be a second string quarterback. It seems like someone would have given a shot on him to be a starter. But yeah. That's, that's me. Right. Yeah, I think that ultimately, I think that that Baltimore, uh, that yeah, Baltimore kind of has those thoughts for him. I think that they're just in a situation right now with Flacco under contract that you're just not 
going to completely, I guess, turn your back on Flacco while he's under contract with such a big contract. Sure. I think that they recognize that Lamar Jackson is probably going to be a guy that you have to develop. I mean, one of the things he struggled with in college was, you know, was his his accuracy passing, uh, whether that would translate in the NFL. I think Josh Allen had some of the those same questions, but Josh Allen has like an elite arm. I mean, the guy's just got a, a monster arm. So I think that, that when you look at a guy like Josh Allen, they see that as something that might be easier to develop. Uh, and I think the next thing with Lamar Jackson that kind of maybe scares people a little bit is that he's not a real big guy. So the difference between a quarterback being able to run and do the things that he does in college versus the NFL is that now you've got guys on the defensive line that are probably almost as fast as you. And that's just not the case in college. I mean, they're probably not quite as fast as Lamar Jackson. I mean, the guy is is an ex- elite athlete, but there's a big difference. Now you got a guy who's 275 pounds running a 4.640, and if you're a running quarterback in the NFL, I think what we saw with Mike Vick was that he had a really tough time staying healthy because he wasn't good at sliding, he took too many hits, uh, and when you rely on that a little bit too much, it becomes a little bit more dangerous in the NFL. So, but yeah, I would take. I, I mean, I would absolutely take. To me, Lamar Jackson's a first round pick quarterback, so I would I would take Lamar Jackson over Jack Prescott right now. Now. And I put him out there, and I'd say, "All right, let's see what you can do." That's me. No, as I, I, then again, I don't. I'm not a champ for an NFL franchise. Um, so it, it's funny because the four the, the four quarterbacks that we are focusing on, like they get they got drafted in that order, anyways. But I want to ask you: after three games, has your opinion changed? So Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, would you would you switch places with anyone, or do you think they're still in that order? Sure, it's it's a little early to overreact after three games, but would you move anyone in that order? Uh, uh, I'm not sure if I would move anybody, but I think that after what we saw from Baker Mayfield in his first game, I think he's like an overwhelming number one. Uh, he just looked re- he just looked so ready out there. I mean, he looked the difference between him and like Terod Taylor, what they've been getting out there. I mean, he just came out and just started slinging the ball over the field. I think I think he's going to make some mistakes. I think he's a little bit of a slinger. He's kind of a, almost kind of like a like a Brett Favre or even kind of young Tony Romo, like where they would kind of just take unnecessary chances with the football. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's going to become far, but he's that type of player where he's going to take a lot of chances. He's going to try to make a ton of plays. Uh, and for me, that's just exciting. I think the Browns need this guy. Uh, like after, especially after losing LeBron James in Cleveland, I think Baker Mayfield's almost kind of like that type of player where Cleveland fans can just cling on right away. And for me, he's still number one. I think he's, he's definitely kind of showing, even in that first game, showing why he was the number one overall pick. Uh, we got a good idea of it because he was going against Darnold in that game. And to me, just Baker Mayfield looked a lot better. Uh, and then I think I still think Darnold uh, is probably a little bit ahead of Josh Allen, but I think when Josh Allen gets in the game, he's a better player than what you would expect him to be. So I think that I'd like to see a couple more games from Josh Allen uh, before I maybe slide him just ahead of Darnold. But I think I would probably still go about the same where, you know, Darnold may be a close number two and number three with, with Josh Allen. Uh, and then, you know, ro- probably Rosen after that. Um, and I'd like to see something from Lamar Jackson. He's kind of getting out there and just kind of in weird packages right now where they're not really using him to throw the ball, but they're kind of putting him out there, you know, under center to run like a like a read option or even they're kind of slinging him out to wide receiver a few times. I, and I don't think that they're meaning to really do that. 
um, to make him be a receiver, but I think that just to get him on the field with a threat that he may throw the ball somehow. So I think that that's kind of where I would go right now. And then, you know, uh, uh, Rosen hasn't really done too much yet. Uh, so I would probably put him fourth just before, so, I guess. Yeah, just to update after this week three, I mean, um, you did have Baker Mayfield's debut with that 21-17 um, win over the Jets on Thursday night. Then you got, right. again, <laughs> I think remarkable upset. Um, Josh Allen's victory over the Vikings, 27-6. And then I think the Cardinals lost a close one, 16-14 against the Bears, which I think they've already named uh, Rose in the starter for next week. So, you know, personally, I, I thought Darnold was the real deal after game one, maybe again, overreaction better. And then these last two games, he was kind of regressed, you know, like rookie mistakes. Um, I'm sure he'll get better. Uh, I'm such a creature of, like, recency so like seeing Allen's performance those highlights and again sure you could argue that Kirk Cousins had an off game I mean I don't think it's hard for the defense to have an off game so for for Josh Allen to put up 27 points against the Vikings defense probably one of the best in the NFL granted I think he got some really nice field position with some of the fumbles from Cousins um, I mean I don't know like for me I would go Baker Allen Darnold Rosen but that's only because Allen looks so great against the Vikings like I, I'm trying to think of a circumstance I mean Darnold would have to beat like a huge underdog like Allen for, for me to be like whoa this guy's legit again just because I actually felt that way again about Darnold in that first game but again I think just because it's such a huge upset again against spread that's why Allen to me looks great but I, I think your your assessment of Baker is kind of the way I look at him too like a potential far type but like I don't know if Allen like just the highlights on Allen again um, what he hurtled that guy and he's like making all these like I was like who is this kid um Baker looks like I don't know if he has all the tools. I know the knock on him was tight, but like he seems like a winner to me. Like uh, it's way too early, but like that Brady ask where like he's just got that drive, that determination, and like that he's gonna win you the game. I don't know in terms of mechanics and tools if he's necessarily better than the other three, but um, like I've seen some of the rockets that Allen was throwing, um, and then obviously Mahomes is not technically in their class, but like well, he's a sophomore. So like yeah, Baker has that kind of just like win kind of mentality, um, whereas. Allen or someone like Mahomes, probably more like a highlight package. Um, nothing jumped out at me from Mick Baker's win. Like when I watched the highlights, I don't know about you, but like he just, he got the job done. It wasn't the prettiest win. I mean, there was, I think, a pass that could have been intercepted, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to keep But well, you know what it is with Baker Mayfield that kind of is exciting for me? He, every single play that he's out there, and this could actually win you or lose you some games, but he just goes out there with like this sense of just excitement. I mean, he's just such an excitable player. He's very emotional, very kind of, he'll pump you up. I mean, when he's at his best, he's just going to get people going nuts. I mean, the fans are going to love the guy. I mean, he's very passionate. He's very excitable. And I think that that's the difference where Darnold just seems like he's kind of a stable type player. Like he's going to go out there and he's going to be very like steady handed and I totally agree. I think almost they're like all Eli. gonna almost like Yeah, Eli. they're all gonna make no they're all gonna make some mistakes. Right. They're all gonna make some mistakes like just kinda getting used to the league. But I think that we what we need to see and I think the reason why I kinda still put Darnold maybe just slightly ahead of Allen, uh, it is because I think you're not gonna really see and as much from Allen until you actually see a lot of pressure on him. So like in this game, for example, this is really his first game starting and not that it got thro- put into his lap, but the Bills had, like,
like no expectations. I mean, you're looking at the Bills after the first couple games, and you're thinking that this may be one of the worst teams in history. So Josh Allen goes out there with very little expectations where you're thinking they're still probably going to go out and lose. I mean, they've got this situation where, okay, let's develop our young quarterback, and they may go 1-15 or 0-16, whereas Darnold in New York, you're expected to pretty much win all the time. In New York, you're expected you better go out there and, and at least be very competitive. And, That's actually a great I point, mean, especially after... And Darnold will go out there if he has a tough game. I mean, they'll throw him under the bus in the newspaper like that. And Buffalo, New York is obviously a little bit different of a situation than New York City, but I think that for his first game, he was put, he was he ended up in a very good situation where Kirk Cousins basically handed him the ball on the 10, 15 yard line two, three times. And once you get a big lead, all of a sudden now it's very conservative and you're just trying to kind of stay the course, not blow the game. And I think it'll be a little bit different situation for Josh Allen if they're down by 20 points in the third quarter. And now you see him having to go out and try to win a game versus, you know, being able to hand off the ball, being able to just kind of throw um, some conservative type passes or take a shot here, take a shot there with big lead. I think that to be fair to Darnold, I'd like the Allen in a couple of those situations first. But, you know, I think that these guys are good quarterbacks. I think this could end up being one of the best draft classes, to your point. So it's going to be real interesting to kind of look at this every week and kind of see where we stand. But I don't think there were huge expectations for really any of these teams. If you look at the four teams that we're talking about, uh, not counting the Baltimore Ravens, because I don't think that they're, they're not relying on Lamar Jackson right now. But if you look at uh, the Browns, obviously, they just want to win some games. Uh, the Cardinals, obviously, this looks like it's going to be a down year for them. So I don't think that there's much high expectations on Rosen to go out and be a all-pro. And obviously, we know what the Bills are. I mean, they'll take that win, and then they may not win another game. We'll see. Uh, and then the Jets, obviously, probably, I think that you'd have the most expectations for the New York City team just because they'll never accept a team losing like that in New York. So, but, uh, yeah, that's where I have you them actually, right now. Yeah, you know, you actually bring up a great point about Darnold just because, like, there was so much hype around him after that great, um, first game of the season debut. And, yeah, totally Allen, upstate New York, and less expectations. Um, back to your Baker point, though, I think if I were to bet on his quarterbacks to pull, like, a psycho Tom, like, kind of, like, go, go after a, a DB or like a cornerback or you know get his team pumped up it'd totally be Baker Mayfield um, oh, just yeah. the way you were describing him I actually me being a more basketball guy I totally envisioned um, like he's the Russell Westbrook of NFL like where he's just like 100 miles per hour totally wants to win every single game no matter what um, where yeah the, the way like um, just the way Donald carries himself totally reminds me of someone like more like nonchalant or actually yeah. I, I thought of Rivers too kind of how he gets really into it for Baker Mayfield where like you'll see him kind of uh, yell at guys or uh, cuss them out sometimes but um, that's a good thing that's a good <laughs> thing fire, firing up your team um, yeah for sure so let's go over some quick hits these are basically some topics that we're just gonna get I want to get your thoughts on less than 30 seconds and um, see what you think so Tiger just got his first win I think since I don't know a few years back um, a lot of hype around this so you got the Ryder Cup coming up um, and that's gonna bring a lot of hype people definitely want to watch Tiger um, did you catch any of it and what do you think about Tiger being back and uh, potentially winning a major down the road? A little bit, yeah. So golf, I, I don't follow quite as closely, but I think that just, you know, t- 
Tiger really forces you to follow a little bit because his name is just it's just so big at this stage of his career where he's kind of had some ups and downs he's gone through some personal stuff he's gone through some injuries and I think that golf is better when Tiger's where he is right now so I think him doing what he did and then kind of showing how I guess how appreciative he is of it um, makes it a little bit more exciting because Tiger's not in that mindset where you know I think when he was like really in his prime and he was just winning all the time I think that he kind of had that thing where he's just like, he he expected to win. And now it's like, man, he's just, you look at him and you hear him talking, doing interviews after it. And it's like, you could just kind of see the, you know, the difference in mentality where he's so appreciative of really having the chance to kind of get back on top. And so for me, I think it's a huge story. I think it's huge for him. I mean, I'm really happy for him. Uh, And I think that golf in general is, is bigger when Tiger is, is out there at least competing. And I know he was very close and, in one of the other uh, major events recently as well. So, uh, I, you know, I think it's a big story and I'd love to see kind of how it, how it kind of continues to transpire with hopefully his health uh, staying, you know, him staying healthy and, and also just kind of at least being very competitive. That's not winning. I, I, I totally agree with you. I was literally thinking you couldn't script a better story. Like there, if you were to say, Hey, all sports are rigged and I'm going to write you the best story. I can't think of a better story than Tiger Woods, the best player in a sport, you could argue, of all time. Coming back from yeah. being one of the worst to back two on top. Like, I was trying to literally go through every sport, and like, other than Muhammad Ali, when he went to the draft, he wasn't like at his worst, worst, but when he came back, won the title. Um, and this is more an individual sport versus like other sports, but even other sports, I can't think of anyone that was at the top, top, fell off to almost the bottom, and then made their way back up to the top. Right. So, like, I can't think, you couldn't script a better story than this other than if someone like came back from like, I don't know, cancer or serious injury or something like that to make it back to the top. Like, it's pretty remarkable. Another quick hit. So, this Mahomes Kool-Aid. I, 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 I'm trying to think in recent memory, maybe RG3, maybe Cam Newton. I can't think... I mean, then again, they weren't as good their rookie years. Mahomes is. I mean, the the hyperbole about this kid is just like off the charts. Where everyone's like reacting, whatever he throw, his wins, how much touchdowns, how many different receivers. I think he's up to eight or nine already in three games. Um, how good is this kid? Like, what's his ceiling? And can you can you think of another quarterback that has hit this high of a ceiling in this short of a time? Yeah, I don't know. I think that it's even tough to compare Cam Newton and RG three because I believe both of them kind of did it in true rookie years so like we had a ton of hype off of Mahomes just based off of him being a backup quarterback last year like they talked about him like with such high regard like I know Andy Reid was like just talking about him with such high regard a lot of the scouts were talking about him and his arm none of that had translated on the NFL field before so I think off the top of my head I mean I don't know which quarterback kind of I guess came in oh maybe maybe Aaron Rodgers maybe that's the only one I can really think of because that wasn't like a second year I mean he sat behind Brett Favre for a few more years but just like looking at what Mahomes is doing in his first few games as an NFL starting quarterback I would almost probably compare it to Aaron Rodgers versus any of those guys and I mean if you ever hear me talk I mean I think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL by far so if if he could kind of take what he's been doing and translate it into something like that um, I mean it certainly looks like he might be that type of player a few games in so like no I, I, I agree with you my my concern is the hype is so much although a lot of people are knocking the Chiefs for the defense and like they have so many weapons from what they're running back their wide receivers their tight end 
It somewhat reminds me of the Chargers back in the day when the Patriots still toppled them when they had their LT, the Rivers, um, Antonio Gates. I mean, I don't remember. Oh, actually, their defense was pretty good. Those Chargers. Like, do you think? Do you think if the Chiefs don't win a Super Bowl in three, four years with this kind of core group of talent, would that be an upset? Or it, you know, football doesn't work that way with parity. Like, it just seems like their offense is so high octane that like it, it would surprise me if they didn't win. I mean, it seems like talent wise, they're good enough to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that the NFL, the, the way that the NFL is now with parity, I think it takes a lot more than that because your team today is not necessarily going to be your team tomorrow. Uh, there's just with free agency and with just the draft and it's tough to keep a team together the way that teams used to do it like with the dynasties like what the Patriots are doing we talked about this before but what the Patriots are doing and what they've been doing over the years to me goes against everything that the NFL has like tried to make the NFL be um, and that's because Belichick is such, such, you know such a special coach like when it comes to talent and developing players and finding the right fit so I don't think that Chiefs. I think that, I don't think the Chiefs are a perfect team right now. I think that the Chiefs actually have a lot, a lot of work to do. I mean, their defense isn't very good at all. Uh, I I don't think that their O line is great. I think they've got some great, um, you know, skill players. When you look at Terry Hill and you look at Travis Kelsey and. Obviously, Mahomes a quarterback. Uh, I think that they've got potential to put up big numbers offensively. And Kareem Hunt, obviously, I love that guy. Um, but it, so, it, but if you look at them as like a complete team, I think that they've still got a lot of work to do, especially on the defensive end, because uh, uh, an explosive offense doesn't necessarily win you anything in the postseason. I mean, defense. I always go by the by the by the words of defense wins championships. So I think that once they face a really tough defense. In the the playoffs it's going to be become a lot harder for them if they can't um, get stopped on the on the defensive end uh, you know to go with what you've got as a young you know quarterback and some skill players really so I'm going to have to see with that yeah I agree with you there um, last topic I mean I think it's just a topic that I'm just enamored with I'm, I'm kind of rooting for the guy but uh, so this fits Matt this fits magic trend um, <laughs> I guess you could say that uh, he hit a kind of a speed bump with this past game against the Steelers um, kind of tail of two three interceptions I think it was in the first half and then he almost got them back to um, to tie it or, or to win in the second half I think a lot of people were saying look look see he, he regressed back to the mean that's who he really is but then you could say you know the other side of the coin you know that second half he kind of got things together you know so we, we talked about this before next week is their bye week and then um, Winston technically can come back game five I'm still of the belief or slightly rooting just because it's kind of wild that um, they, they waive their first round draft pick and then Fitzmagic is their guy and then they go off for a new franchise quarterback but um, do you ride the hot hand or what do you do with this whole situation do you still say the course and just ride him until he doesn't get hotter more than insert Winston back in or what do you do for week five going forward I think right now if you're the if you're Tampa I think that you stay with Fitzpatrick because he has really made that offense explosive and there's no guarantee that Winston's going to come in and, and do the same, especially coming off of uh, a suspension and coming off like a not-so-great season that he came off of last year. Like, Winston didn't have a great season last year. Um, however, I still like, Winston is still a number one draft pick, and um, it's magic is still like a a guy who's bounced around. He's uh, he's never been like a great, great quarterback. He's never really been like a franchise quarterback. So I'm not really sure that he's that now. I think he's 
I think he's a guy that come out and he's, he's a great guy. He's a great team guy. I think the players love him. I think the fans love him. And I think if he's playing great football and he's giving you a chance to win, I think in the NFL you, you continue trying to win. But I don't, I don't think you necessarily just give up on Jameis Winston. I mean... Like uh, if he continues to have some stuff come up where he's making questionable decisions off the field and he's getting himself in trouble, then I think that that's a different story. But just based off of this one situation, I think that you still look at him as your potential franchise quarterback um, until somebody maybe offers you something like a trade. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there like it, just like the Cowboys, for example. You know, if they finally get to the point where they're like, I don't want to sit back and go with Dak anymore because they don't believe that he's a franchise quarterback. Did the Cowboys possibly offer up maybe a second or a third round pick for James Winston and say, hey, this guy was number one pick. He's got the arm. We've got the offense. We've got the running back and we've got a decent defense. Does a team like that maybe take a chance and maybe offer up a trade? I don't know. It sounds like they're still pretty high on Dak, but I think that at least gives Tampa some options uh, to kind of look at and they would know Winston a lot more than anybody else. I think that they would have an idea if he's their franchise quarterback or not, but I think you ride the hot hand. Um, I don't think you necessarily like throw all the um, marbles into the journeyman quarterback, uh, but if he's continuing to play well and he's continuing to win, then maybe ride the hot hand and see, if, see where it gets you. In worst case scenario, you just go back to Winston in a couple of weeks. So, Andy, yeah, one last final a follow-up question, then we'll cut off there. Uh, you know, so my memory might not serve me that well. Um, when the Cowboys put in Dak, Romo hadn't fully recovered, but then I could have sworn that he was able to play, I want to say somewhere midseason, and then I think there was a game that the Cowboys were losing, Dak finally had a bad game, and then I could have sworn they put in Romo, and then I think he won that game, but then they went back yeah. to Dak. No. So, yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, Romo got injured in the preseason and they, the Cowboys had no hopes of really playing Dak. I mean, at that point, they, they were in preseason. Romo was their guy. Romo ended up, uh, I guess, I believe it was he broke a bone in his back, uh, during that preseason game and he was going to be out for, say, eight weeks or whatever it was. And what ended up happening was Dak just ended out outperforming the other backup quarterback, uh, I believe after Kellen Moore got injured in the next preseason game. So all of a sudden they're sitting there watching Dak and Dak was killing it during preseason. Uh, did a phenomenal job and Dak just kind of took over. Um, got to the point where he started winning regular season games and they were 13 and 3 or sorry, they were um, 12 and 12 and 3 I believe it was uh, going into week 17 and Romo was healthy at that point. So they decided to rest a lot of their starters and they decided to, to put Romo in to kind of get some playing time in that week 17 game against Phil and he went in and was just, I mean, he took him up and down the field like it was nothing um, a couple times, and they decided to keep him out at that point to, so that he would be healthy for the playoffs. But uh, they beat that Philly team and then went to the playoffs, and uh, Dak got behind, I believe, like 20 points in the playoff game versus Rodgers, which I was sadly at that game. It was one of the worst things ever. Uh, and Dak ended up coming back. He played a decent game uh, to, to kind of get them back in the game versus the Packers, but they ultimately ended up losing. So um, I was sick over that. That's what I was sick over. I think Tony Romo was healthy, and the Green Bay Packers secondary was completely, completely just, like, not even there. I mean, they were playing, like, fifth and sixth string guys in their secondary in that playoff game because there were so many injuries. 
So for me, they should have started Romo in that playoff game. I wanted them to start Romo, and um, they ended up losing. But okay, yeah. so I guess I don't want to drag up all these old memories for you. I guess that yeah. So that I guess that's the closest example I can think of of what the Bucks could potentially do with this whole Fitzmagic and Winston thing. Um, again, this wasn't one of our times, but I literally was just thinking of this. So like. If they again, I'm playing out the scenario. If they truly don't think Winston's their franchise quarterback, um, I don't know how of a hot commodity he is. But if you play it like, okay, let's ride with Fitzmagic. If we don't think we could make more interest into Winston, then we trade him again to a Cowboys or to a you know Jaguars that are a good quarterback away, or, or someone. Although Bortles is playing somewhat good recently, but like. Right, because you could have argued uh, again. Dak looked good at that point, so there, you know, no one unless unless you really knew, you know, what he was, what, what was going to end up happening to Dak. But you could have argued that you know Romo's back healthy. You keep Romo, and then you trade Dak at his highest trade value, and then you would have played it out like that way. Again, no, you know, hindsight, Monday morning quarterbacking. But like, I guess the Bucks could play it that way, right? Like, if if they tell people, hey, we're trading a number one overall draft pick quarterback that could be your franchise changer, they get some draft picks back, and then in a the future draft, they try to look for their franchise quarterback. You you wouldn't do that, or you don't buy that? Uh, I think I think that the I think Tampa has more trade value for. I think that Tampa has a lot more potential trade value with James Winston because he was a number one overall pick and he's got like all the tools to be that guy. Uh, I think the Cowboys, when they were in the position that they were, could have possibly looked at trying to flip Dak. I think they had a very small window to flip Dak. I think that they could have they could have tried to flip him like some point during that season or in the offseason after his first year. I think Dak has absolutely no value at this point, obviously, but I think I, I also don't think the Cowboys were willing to even look at that because they knew that Romo was like always one hit away from being out and they didn't have a franchise quarterback themselves. So I don't think that the Cowboys ever even potentially thought of that because of Romo's injury history. Whereas if I were the Bucks, I would probably put Winston's name out there right now and see if there is interest. I mean, there's this is a time where you know that there's a few teams early in the season that believe they could probably go either way. They could either be competitive and possibly make a run for the playoffs and Super Bowl or they might be kind of out of the mix and, you know, think maybe we should get a number one pick guy. And so I think the Bucks have the possibility of being able to float that out there and see if there's anybody interested. Uh, but again, I think that it's completely dependent on what they see Jameis Winston as. I mean, they drafted him as their number one pick. So if they still feel that he's that guy, then I don't see why they would even think about getting rid of him again. I mean, Fitzmagic Fitz is a journeyman. I mean, the guy is an exciting type player and he does well. When he does well, he does very well. But then when he's bad, he's very bad. And I don't think he's like that guy that you're going to like throw away the future for. I think it's like if he's winning games and you feel good about him going out there winning games, well, he not he may not be your quarterback next year. So that would put them in a situation where, again, they have to find a franchise quarterback. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But I still do think that Jameis Winston holds plenty of value if they wanted to kind of float that out there and see what they can get for him. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think NBA is so trade-heavy. That's why when there's potential trades out there for the NFL, like, I kind of get excited. But, yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye on it. Um, so that's all the time we have this week. My name is John Lee. And I'm Andy Benzowitz. Hope you enjoy the show. You can reach out to us at Be Nice Andy on Twitter and Instagram. And you can reach out to us at Be Nice Andy Podcast on Facebook.